title of my sermon this morning is Adopted. The big idea, those who belong to Christ have been born again to believe. Those who have been brought into the family of God, we would say, well, it's, it's by faith. But I'm going to argue, because I think the text is clear, that something happens prior to our faith. We must be born again. Amen? We must be born again to believe. Those who belong to Christ have been born again to believe. Uh, I like Jim Packer. J.I. Packer um, says things well, says things succinctly. It's a great quote from Jim. (laughs) He wrote, Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. Let me say that again. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. You know, I'm reminded today of the story of Mephibosheth. It's a tough name. You see, in um, 2 Samuel 9, at this point, David is king over Israel, and he makes an inquiry. Is there anyone from the family of Saul that is still alive that I might show some kindness to him? And it's brought to his attention that his good friend Jonathan still has a son alive, a cripple named Mephibosheth. Now, listen, in ancient times, you have to to understand, this did not fare well for Mephibosheth, okay? The thinking probably was, oh my goodness, David's looking for me? He's looking for me? My grandfather was the maniacal king, King Saul, that, that sought his life time and time again. And now he's looking for me? What's he thinking? He's probably thinking, again, if you're reading this text through the lens of ancient eyes, that Mephibosheth was a threat to the throne. And what happened to potential threats to the throne in ancient times when they were brought before the king? What happened? They were killed. They were laid down. I guarantee you that was the thinking. But what happens? What happens? Mephibosheth, this man... What did he say? That's right. Mephibosheth is brought in. David gives him a seat at his table. He essentially adopts him into his family, treats him like a son, gives him land, loves him, cares for him, blesses him. From a son of the enemy to a son of the king. Isn't that incredible? It's a wonderful story of adoption, and it's a beautiful pointer to the gospel. You see, all of us are by nature enemies of the king. All of us have offended a holy God. All of us deserve hell. But God in his grace, through Christ, adopts sinners like us into the family of God and gives us a seat at the table. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You know, John 1, 9-13 presents us with the story of of the gospel, what I would argue is the most wonderful adoption story of all. I want to look at four things this morning from our text. We'll take it verse at a time. Four things. Number one, divine initiative. We see that in our passage. Two, divine rejection. Three, divine acceptance. And four, four, divine birth and identity. So let's start with divine initiative. Who took the initiative to save us? 
Was it us? Who left glory? Who left heaven to come to a broken and wicked world to save sinners? Christ. Divine initiative. Verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Don't miss that last phrase, was coming into the world. That assumes movement. It assumes vertical direction. Was coming into the world. Now, again, listen to these words. Listen carefully. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, John the Baptist, his testimony, which we looked at two weeks ago, and I know most of us forget what we heard two weeks ago. That was John 1, 6 to 8. John, John the Baptist, the Baptist, just call him JB for my sake. John the Baptist established the fact that he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Who's the light? John came to prepare the way for somebody. Who? Christ. Christ. We saw that two weeks ago. Now, the background for this title, Light, and we've already talked about this, but I think it's important to review because this light language is seen throughout John's gospel. He's the light of the world, John 8, 12. Where does that title, Light, come from? It comes from the Old Testament. If I ask that question, you can just say the Old Testament. That'll be correct. Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the glory of God and the servant of the Lord. Come into the world. Come into the darkness to illuminate. To illuminate sinful hearts and minds. To reveal God and to bring salvation. And he's not just the light, but he's the true light. Did you catch that adjective? John doesn't just say he's the light. He's the the true light. What does this mean? The word true, elithinos. It means genuine, even ultimate. Jesus is true. Jesus is genuine. He's real. And not just that, but he is, are you ready, the ultimate. The ultimate revelation of God. The climactic revelation of God. Everything that the Old Testament points to finds its fulfillment in who? Christ. And this fits with what we see later in John's Gospel, John 14, 6. What does Jesus say? That self-declaration, I am the truth. I'm the truth. Next we have the phrase, he was coming into the world. This is everything. He was coming into the world, which denotes both a spatial and temporal dimension. Spatial, think place. Temporal, think time. Place and time. This light has come from where? Was coming into the world from where? Where did he come from? He came from heaven. And that means what? That this light has existed for how long? How long has Christ been around? Forever. That's the time. Again, the deity of Christ is being emphasized here. But not just the deity of Christ, but the initiative of God. This vertical movement fits with the clear testimony of Scripture. Salvation comes from where? It comes from above. In fact, when we get to John 3, Jesus is going to use this Greek word, anothen. You must be born anothen. In order to enter God's kingdom, you must be born from above. What does this mean? If salvation comes from above, it means it's God's gift and it's God's doing. It's His gracious provision. It comes from Him. 
It comes from Him. Again, the first point is divine initiative. Salvation comes from the Lord. The Lord has taken the initiative in coming to us. Who's ever had a child fall down before them? One of your own kids just crash. I remember Clark's first great fall. Not his first great sin. I'm not speaking like Genesis 3. I'm talking about his first great fall. We were in Washington. There was this really cool outdoor trail that went along the mountains, and we would walk it as a family. And this is where Clark learned to run. And he'd start doing this. Oh, here he goes. And then he starts doing that, and you're like, oh, Lord, please. And then, boom! Oh, I saw his face bounce. It was the worst. I mean, my heart melted, and I sprinted. I didn't just watch and say, he'll be fine. No, he's a toddler. I sprinted to Clark, and what do I do? What does a father do? When a child falls down, the father rushes to the child, scoops them up, bandages their wounds, and cares for them. Amen? I mean, what does that remind us of? Who does that remind us of? Why did I do that for Clark? Why didn't I just let him lie? Ah, you win some, you lose some, buddy. Sorry. You didn't win today. No, I, I ran to him. I went down to him. It's an expression of what? It's love. We are a fallen people. And what has the Lord done? Did he simply watch from afar? No, what did he do? He came. Amen? He came down to us. He's taken the initiative. What does this teach us about God? Again, it's the same lesson. When I run down to Clark and I scoop him up and I hold him, it shows a father's love. The fact that Jesus came down to us, it shows his love. Christ is loving and true. God in his love has taken the initiative to save a fallen people. He comes to us. The true light was coming into the world. That is the gospel. That's the good news. I got to walk through Romans 5, 6 to 8 with a brother. I'm meeting with him weekly right now, teaching him how to do inductive Bible study. And I'll give him a text, and we read a Chick-fil-A together, and we ask questions. We're going to do a little inductive Bible study right now. Are you ready? I want to read Romans 5, 6 to 8. I'm not going to call on you, but I want you to think hard. What, what words, what are the key words that stand out here? For while we were still weak... I italicized with my tone. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So weak and ungodly, that's us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How are we described in that text? Weak, ungodly, sinners. That is who Christ came to save. He left heaven to save the likes of us, weak, ungodly sinners. Now, one more thing worth mentioning here. This will be helpful. Does it matter what we believe about Jesus? That's where you'd say, yes, of course it does, Chris. I guess that was rhetorical, but yes, it does matter. Of course it matters. There's a phrase here that's easy to miss, and I want you to catch it. I'm going to help you catch it. The phrase... Coming into the world. He's the coming one. That's a title in the Old Testament for Messiah. It's in Isaiah. Did you know that? He was coming into the world. He's the coming one. Now, there's this great scene in Luke's gospel. It's, it's puzzling because 
you know, John the Baptist, his job was to prepare the way for Jesus. But there's this moment in John's gospel, I'm sorry, Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 7, where John is behind bars. And things aren't unfolding the way he expected. And so he sends two of his disciples to ask Jesus a question. And here's the question. John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? That was his way of asking, are you the Messiah? Now, if you don't believe me, let's just quickly fast forward to John 11. What happens in John 11? Jesus raises a dead man. Whoa. Now, this dead man, Lazarus, had two sisters, Martha and Mary. Now, listen to what Martha says. This is John 11:27. Martha said to him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. That's Messiah language, right? Christ. Messiah means Christ. Christ means anointed one. I believe that you are the Christ. I believe that you're the King promised, the Son of God, who is coming into the world, the coming one. So John, in saying that the light has come into the world, he's saying Jesus is the King. He is the Messiah. Now, what did this light come to do? This light has come into the world, but to do what? The last phrase in verse 9 gives light to everyone. When you're standing in a dark room and you're stumbling, maybe the power went out. When I lived in Africa back in 2010, I was without power for probably three or four months of my time there. And it got really dark at night. It's up in the mountains. And if the power went out all of a sudden, what do you think I was looking for? What did I need to see? I needed light, whether it was a candle or a flashlight. Jesus came to give light. That's good news, right? What does it mean? Now, this is not universalism, where it says he gives light to everyone. That doesn't mean that everyone's going to be saved. That's not what it means. This speaks, this, this language, he gives light to everyone. It speaks to the scope of Christ's work. He came to give light to everyone, meaning to all peoples. Jesus came for the nations. This is a key theme and point of emphasis in John's gospel. Listen to John 3.16. For God so loved the, the world. John 10.16. And I have other sheep, Jesus says. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they'll listen to my voice. So there'll be one flock, one shepherd. John 12.32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. You know, Pastor Joe, last week in preaching in Romans, Romans 1.16, he made the same point. That Paul is arguing in Romans 1.16 that the gospel is for all peoples, Jews and Gentiles, which means non-Jews. Now, although Christ came for all peoples, the nations, we know that not everyone will be saved. Not everyone will receive the light. In some, Jesus is the true light. He is the true light, the genuine and ultimate revelation of God come from heaven to illuminate. He came to illuminate the sinful hearts and minds of all peoples. Here's the application, if you're wondering. Christians, look at me in the eyes if you're a follower of Christ. Christians are called to imitate the initiative of the Lord in taking the good news to sinners. 
He came to us. Amen? He came to us. He took the initiative. As Christians, we're called to take initiative as well and thus imitate our king. As the Father sent the Son, so the Son sends out his people to be his messengers, his heralds of good news. Who are you taking the good news to? Who are you taking the good news to? Who are you taking initiative with to share the gospel with? Anyone. Number two, divine rejection. Divine rejection. Verses 10 and 11. He was in the world. Now listen. He was in the world. And the world was made through him. Which means what? Jesus is what? The world was made through him. He's what? He's God. He's the creator. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Now listen, yet the world did not know him. The world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. What makes this rejection so significant? Two phrases, listen, two phrases bring to light the tragedy and the travesty of this divine rejection. Number one, and the world was made through him. And number two, his own people did not receive him. John emphasizes both the deity, that means Jesus is God, the deity and the humanity of Christ. Jesus as the creator is what? He's fully God. And yet we find that his creation does not know him. John uses the word gnosko, which is a particular word for knowledge in the Greek. It refers to an intimate knowledge, a relational knowledge. The world doesn't have this relational, intimate knowledge of Christ because it's cut off from him due to what? Due to sin. As one brother has written, this is helpful. Jesus made our eyes. It's true. Jesus made our eyes, yet we refuse to see his glory. Jesus made our ears. Yet we refused to listen to his words. Jesus made our hands. He made our heads. He made everything. Jesus made our heads, yet we refused to bow before him. And not only that, but John sheds light on Jesus' Jewish heritage. He came to his own, and what did his own people do? They didn't receive him. As promised, the Messiah would come from who? The Jewish people, right? The, the true son of Abraham and the true son of David. He would be the promised king to deliver God's people from sin and to save the day. All God's promises to Israel looked ahead to the coming Messiah. And yet when he came, what happened? When he came, his people, the Jewish people, were blind to him. They didn't receive him. What a tragedy. They didn't receive him. His own people, in their scriptures, consistently, they bear witness to who? The coming king. And when the king came, they didn't receive him. Have you received the king? Have you received Christ? Imagine a doctor traveling to your home to care for your sick and dying father. It's dire, right? This is a serious situation. A doctor is coming to your home to care for your sick and dying father. But the children, the children don't know the doctor, so when he comes to the door, they don't let him in. Why? Because they don't know him. He was sent to care for their dad. In fact, he has the cure. But because the children don't know him, they don't receive him. They refuse to let him in. 
And all of us would say, how tragic. And yet, that's the state of humanity. Sin blinds us to the light. In order to see, we need divine intervention. We need a new birth. More on that shortly. Now, the idea being emphasized in these verses is that the world and the Jewish people should have known better. They should have known better. They are held responsible just like we are held responsible for our rejection. Both creation and the scriptures testify to Jesus. These verses that I just read, verses 10 and 11, serve as a radical indictment against all humanity. We are guilty. We are guilty for our rejection of the light, Jesus Christ. You know, I had a, I had a TA. What's a TA? Teacher's assistant at Harvard. His name was Kevin. Kevin knew the Bible better than any of you. I promise you. He knew it inside and out. He was brilliant. But he didn't know Christ. It was all academic for Kevin. He didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus, but he knew the word inside and out that testified to Christ, but he didn't know him. He was blind to him. And all of us would say, if you know this book inside and out, and this book points to Jesus, Kevin, you should know better. You know, the basic sin, the basic sin highlighted in John's gospel is this. It is the failure and the refusal to know and believe in Jesus. The basic sin highlighted in John's gospel, keep reading it with me. Read it with your kids. That was the challenge last week. We're in chapter 12 right now. The basic sin highlighted in John's gospel is the failure and the refusal to know and believe in Jesus. The gravity of this sin is brought to light when one sees the abundance of testimony and witness for Jesus in John's gospel. And here's the kicker. Are you ready for this? Those who reject Christ will be rejected. There's a warning in this passage. Those who reject Christ will be rejected. So be warned here, friends. You know, John 3.36, we're not quite there. It'll be a while. But let me say this. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Amen. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, for the wrath of God remains on him. Mark 8.38, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in glory, the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now listen, is it promised that whenever you go and bear witness to Christ and share the gospel, that people are going to receive it every time? It's the opposite, right? If you've been rejected due to your allegiance to Christ, you're in good company. You're in good company. Jesus, too, was rejected. Jesus prepares his followers for rejection in John 15. John 15, 18 to 20. If the world hates you, what does Jesus say? If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before you. <laughs> it hated me first, Jesus said. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, 
Therefore, the world what? Hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also what? Persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Christians, look at me. Expect rejection wherever you go. Expect it. Now that doesn't mean, listen, that doesn't mean that the Lord won't save some through your gospel witness. However, rejection from the world is what we should expect. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the word of the cross is folly. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. I had a friend in middle school and high school. I love this guy. Man, I love this guy. He's not a believer. I was. And I shared the gospel with Brett all the time. I prayed for Brett. I spent time with him. You know, during the summer, he lived about, I don't know, a mile from my house. I'd get on my bike and my pole, and we'd go fish together. We played baseball together. I loved Brett, and I wanted nothing more for Brett to love Jesus and know Jesus. Never happened. I pleaded, I begged, I shared, I prayed, I pleaded, I begged, I shared, and I prayed. And to this day, I still think Brett is not a follower of Christ. I was demoralized. I was discouraged. I was frustrated. I should have remembered Jesus' words in Luke ten sixteen: The one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Here's the application. Don't despair. Listen. Don't despair when you're rejected for sharing the gospel. Rejoice. That might sound strange and counterintuitive, but the Bible says rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord who gives his people strength who gives his people boldness to faithfully declare the good news. Rejoice that you've been counted worthy to suffer disdain for the work of Christ. You're in good company. As Jesus reminds us in Matthew 5.12, For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I was talking to a brother in the parking lot this morning. I was sharing a quote that I heard from a pastor years ago. He said, Brother, don't count conversions, count conversations. It's easy to get discouraged when you share the gospel and that person doesn't accept Jesus. Count the conversation. Man, you, you boldly proclaim to them the good news. You were faithful. You were a faithful herald of the gospel. Amen? So count the conversations. Don't try to count the conversions. We preach the gospel and we trust the Spirit to give new life. All that to say is just be faithful in sharing the good news and trust the Lord for the heavy lifting. Number three, divine acceptance. Verse 12, but to all who did receive, okay, here we go. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Receive and believe. We learned two weeks ago that believing in Jesus is receiving Jesus, namely receiving him as all that he is the most supreme treasure of all. It's receiving him as he's revealed in the Gospel of John. I get it. It matters what we believe about Jesus. He is revealed in John's Gospel as truly God and truly man, as the promised 
king, the Messiah, sent from the Father to bring salvation to a dark and dying world. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? So we should expect acceptance as well. Not because we're so eloquent and effective in sharing the gospel, but because God is faithful and merciful to save the lost. I think about the Old Testament. Although the Old Testament books are fraught with rejection, I'm reading through Jeremiah right now. Although the Old Testament books are fraught with rejection, there is always a believing remnant. There are those who will believe. Many, look around, many, if not most of you, are evidence of this today. You're here. And if you're saved, you've believed. Amen? (laughs) You've believed in John's testimony about Jesus. You've received Christ as Savior and Lord and King. You've trusted in who He is and what He's done to save sinners through His perfect life, His sacrificial death, and His glorious resurrection. You know, when I proposed to Haley, she said no. I'm just kidding. She said yes. When I proposed to Haley, she said yes. She accepted me. Right? That, if you propose to your wife, man, and, and she says yes, she's what? She's accepting you, right? Haley accepted me. And her acceptance of me was relational. It was relational. It was a commitment. When you accept Jesus, it's relational. You are committing to him. You are giving him your allegiance both now and forever. Here's the application. Receive and believe in Christ today. Receive him today. Believe in him today. Trust in him today. Trust in Jesus today. He lived and he died and he rose again to save sinners. He paid the price. He paid the debt of sinners. He lived a life that we can't live. He perfectly obeyed God the Father and then he died in our place taking the punishment we deserve. So that we sinners could have a relationship with God. So that we could be counted right before God. And not guilty anymore. So what? So receive him. And believe in him today. And if you're a believer, guess what? What does John say? Keep believing. Keep believing. Keep trusting in Jesus. For believe, the verb to believe, John uses the present tense form of the verb, which denotes what kind of action? Ongoing or continuous. Keep trusting. If you're a believer, keep trusting in Jesus as Lord, Savior, and King. And number four, number four, divine birth and identity. Verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Oh. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of who? But of God. Here we see what the gospel does. Those, don't miss this. Those who trust in Jesus are given a new identity, a new status. I want to unpack this together. What is John saying exactly? John is saying if you have in fact received and believed in Jesus, then you're now a child of God. But the question remains, it's hanging in the air. How does one get there? How does one get there? Now, one could quickly say, it's obvious. Those who 
our children of God or those who have believed in Jesus. Well, that's true. But what precedes our faith? What comes before our faith? Humanity's natural inclination is to reject God. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. According to Ephesians 2.1, we are born spiritually dead. And what can the dead do, my friends? They can't do anything. So the question remains, what precedes, what comes before our faith? A faith that results in a brand new identity and status. And we find the answer in verse 13. Are you ready? Here's the answer. Who were born. Who were born. Not of blood. Nor of the will of man. Nor of the will of the flesh. But of God. But of God. Simply put. Here it is. Those who believe in Jesus have been born of God. This new birth precedes or comes before our faith. Being born of God and thus being a part of the family of God is not the result of human initiative or human pedigree, but rather it is the result of God's supernatural work in us, giving spiritual life to the spiritually dead. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. This will be helpful. The Spirit of God works through the gospel of God to bring us to faith in the Son of God. The Spirit of God works through the gospel of God to bring us to faith in the Son of God. The Spirit of God works through the gospel of God to bring us to faith in the Son of God. Again, if you've trusted in Jesus, you are now adopted into God's family. You're a child of God. Um... Haley and I long to adopt. Many, I'd say most of you, most of you here don't realize how painful this journey has been for us. Now, some of you do. Some of you have had, I know, similar experiences. But we long, Haley and I long. You know what that word means? We desire strongly. We long. We long for the day when we can receive another child into our home, a child that didn't come from us naturally, who doesn't look like us physically, but who we can assign the Taylor name to and say, you're ours. We love you. You are our child. This is what happens through the gospel. This is what the gospel does. If or when we adopt a child, we'll be able to say to that little one one day, You are here, a part of our family, not because of anything you did or didn't do, but simply due to the fact that we have assigned our love to you. We brought you in. In the same way, listen, in the same way, none of us, none of us can say to God, I'm part of your family, God, because my parents are Christians. That doesn't work. I have a really good moral track record. No. I go to church every Sunday. No. (laughs) Only due to your grace and your mercy and your love. If you believe in Christ, listen, if you believe, it's because you were born again to believe. Something supernaturally has happened to you 
Now, more on this to come when we get to John 3, which, again, it's out there. (laughs) You know, John Piper, he does a good job of explaining the Greek language used in John 1.13. I want to kind of loosely quote him here. He writes, and I think we would all... Wouldn't we say that the tenses of verbs matter? You don't have to be an English teacher, right? It matters whether or not something happened in the past or is happening now in the present or will happen in the future, right? I died. No, you didn't. I will die. Okay, yes, I understand the difference. Okay, it matters. The tenses matter. This is what Piper says. Believes, John 1.13. Listen, don't miss this. This is helpful. Believes is in the present tense and refers to our ongoing trust in Jesus. Has been born is in the perfect tense and refers to a past act with ongoing effects. This means, here it is, this means that the new birth brings about belief, not the other way around. Unborn babies do not choose to be born. It's a gift. First John 5.1. Listen to 1 John 5.1. This is really helpful. 1 John 5.1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Did you catch it? Everyone, now listen, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. If you believe in Christ, it's because you were first born of God, made alive by the Spirit to trust in Jesus. Salvation is God's doing. It's God's gift, and it results in a new identity. I want to take a moment to explore this new identity and what it teaches us about God. If you're a Christian, you're a child of God. Dave, I should bring you up right now to sing about that. If you believe in Jesus, you're a child of God. Are you kidding me? You'll never appreciate the gravity of that statement until you realize the bad news of what you've been saved from. Oh, who cares? I'm a child of God. Oh, my goodness. There's simply no greater honor. Amen? There's no greater honor. If you belong to the Son, Christ, then you're a son or daughter of God. Hey, maybe you know someone famous. I played soccer in college with a guy who knew Brad Pitt. Isn't that funny? That's so random. His mom grew up tutoring the actor Brad Pitt, so he knew Brad Pitt. I thought, that's so funny. Maybe you know somebody famous, and you have their number in your phone. And when you call that person, they answer and say, hey, friend. And you're like, wow, I mean, I'm their friend. I'm their buddy. What an honor. That pales. That pales in light of your new identity in Christ. If you've trusted in Jesus, then you are a child of God, a child of the King. There's no greater honor. Amen? There's no greater honor. The significance of the new birth and the new identity ascribed to those who believe is especially seen when we are reminded of who and what we were before God's grace entered into our lives. So can I just remind you of that? I need to be reminded of that. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. Let's remind each other of who we were before Christ. And you were dead. Ouch. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of what? Wrath, like the rest of mankind. All right, so let's just summarize what we learn about ourselves in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. Dead, we were dead, following the course of this world in league with Satan, sons of disobedience and children of wrath. That is what we were before adoption. Remember Romans 5, 6, and 8? What were we? Weak, ungodly sinners. Completely undeserving of God's grace. But in Christ, undeserving sinners like you and me are adopted into God's family and made children of God. Again, there is no greater honor and no greater expression of love and grace. Here's the application. Rejoice in your adoption. Are you suffering today? Look at me. Are you suffering today? I know many of you are. Are you suffering today? Rejoice in your adoption. Have you been slandered? Rejoice in your adoption. Have you received a difficult diagnosis? Rejoice in your adoption. Is your marriage struggling? Is your marriage struggling today? Rejoice in your adoption. Are you jobless? Rejoice in your adoption. Rejoice in God's grace applied to your life. For you did nothing. I did nothing. We did nothing to deserve this new status, this new identity. You are simply a recipient of God's grace. So rejoice. Rejoice. You know, Christ died. Christ died. Christ died. It really happened. It really happened. Christ really died for sinners. He died to adopt sinners into the family of God. What love? Amen? How dare we question God's love? How have you responded to this love? That's the question. How have you responded to this love? Where are you? I've asked the question, this is a favorite question of mine on an airplane. What have you done with Jesus? What? Well, I mean, you know, Jesus, he died for sinners. He rose again. He's God. What have you done with him? Jesus has come. The light has come into the darkness to bring salvation. What have you done with him? What have you done with him? Have you rejected him? Are you continuing to reject him or have you accepted him? Will you accept him? Are you a child of God? You can be today. You can be today through faith in Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. There's no greater honor. It's true. There's no greater honor. I don't care who you know. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a child of God. And there's no greater honor than that. And you always have reason to rejoice. Let's pray. Father, help us to rejoice in this good news. That through faith in Christ, 
we are adopted into your family, God. Adopted into your family. No longer enemies of the king. No longer estranged from the king. No longer in league with Satan. But through faith in Christ, we are now children of God. And because of that, and in that, we rejoice. And I pray, Father, that we would boldly and faithfully take this adoption message outside these walls to our schools, to our neighborhoods, to our places of work, into our homes, declaring that Christ came. He left heaven. The one who is fully God, who created all things, left heavenly glory, and he came to this world. He came into the darkness as the light, and he came to die to bring sinners into the family of God. And so I pray that we would boldly declare that good news and invite many to leave their sin and trust in Jesus for life. Father, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you sent the Son. And we thank you that you send us out to be bearers and heralds of this good news. May we do so faithfully and joyfully. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.